So this morning, I'm going to be seeking to explore a smorgasbord of questions, kind of a, a question combo. How do we find comfort and hope in this season? How do we be a resurrected people in this season? How can we feel belonging in this season? How do we survive this season? Lots of how kinds of questions. And so I thought as the last one for our You Asked For It series, before we jump into a new series next week, a sermon focused on these kinds of questions may be helpful. The summer is closing off. Kids are going back to school. Things are feeling long and uncertain. Nothing's quite the same. It looks like the apocalypse outside. Many are feeling like we're just done with all of this. And it's easy to fall into a trap of discouragement, which is exactly what the enemy wants for us because it's there that we're vulnerable. The church, as Ed has mentioned before, is without a doubt under a level of spiritual attack in this season. And as much as we can, we need to be living as a people of resurrected hope. So we're going to look this morning at a passage in Philippians 2. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to Philippians 2. We're looking at verses 5 through 11. And in this letter, in the whole letter, Paul is really urging the Philippians to live a life that's worthy of the gospel that they proclaim. Practice what you preach, in other words. Live a life that demonstrates that you believe that Jesus is Lord. And in chapter 2 specifically, he urges them to take on the mind of Christ in order to live that life. Enter into the headspace, into the mindset, the, the world of Christ, and try to imitate him. Think as he did. Empathize with him. Try to step into his shoes and look at the world the way that he does. How does Christ look at the situation that we're currently in? How does Christ Look at the situation that you are currently in. Because when we try to do that, when we do that, our whole posture towards life shifts. So it's, it's worth 20 minutes of our time this morning exploring this. So we're going to read Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Paul writes this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're going to travel through this passage verse by verse this morning, and, and that's because the actual movement or the structure of this passage is helpful when trying to answer some of these how kinds of questions, okay? So we're going to start at verse 5. Paul writes this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationships with one another. That's, that's where this starts. In your relationships with one another. So Paul has the whole church family in view here. He's not just talking to individual Christians. What's at the heart of our human discipleship? 
relationship with one another. Why? Because if we're not in relationship with one another, we can't imitate Christ's mindset. We can't take on the mind of Christ because we have no one else to imitate him to. The implication is that you need to have relationships in which you work out your discipleship. We can't discipline ourselves to have the mindset of Christ. We can't, we can't practice having the same mindset as Christ if we're stuck in our own little bubble. And yes, I use that word intentionally because that's perhaps one of the greatest heartaches of this whole season is that we actually can't practice imitating Christ in the way that we normally would with one another when we're isolated. We're meant to be professional mimickers, but our normal means of mimicking has been severely limited. But that doesn't mean we just stop and wait till all of this blows over. We don't just stop being Christian. We don't just stop being in relationship with one another. Jesus would never have done that. It means that we acknowledge this situation reevaluate, reimagine, and think creatively so that we can look for opportunities to practice Christ-likeness within the current situation, within these limitations. Because when Paul says, have the same mindset as Christ, that's a tall order. We don't just quit when the situation gets complicated, we seek wisdom and new ways to be Christ-like. This is the pattern of thinking that needs to identify the people of the Messiah in every season. So if we want to be a people who produce hope for both ourselves and for others, in this season, we need to ask, what did Jesus care about? How did he treat people? How did he spend his time? What seemed important to him in his own circumstances? On what grounds were his choices made? Because only then can we ask, what might Christ have for us? What might he have in mind for this season? See, in, in order to live like him, we need to think like him. So how did he think? Verse 6, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who... Being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Christ didn't strive to take hold of what was rightfully his. He didn't, he didn't grasp onto power or seek to put himself above. He had the right to seize control, but he did the exact opposite. He was equal with God, but he did not hold on to that equality. On so many occasions, he could have. And there are times when you read through the stories and you read through the Gospels and you think, come on, Jesus, give us more. Show us your power. Show us what you can really do. Show us that you have control. Give us a sign. But verse 7, he didn't do that. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking on the very nature of God? No, of a servant. The way to imitate Christ is found right here. Christ made himself nothing before others. He had the nature of God, but he took the nature of a servant and he did it willingly. This doesn't sit very well with us. 
I know, because how often do we get discouraged when we're made to feel like nothing? When we feel like we've been put down or belittled? When we're forced to feel lower than we actually feel like we should be? Or when we feel like someone else has control over our lives that isn't right or isn't fair? It's so difficult for us. And if we're falling into despair or hopelessness about it, there's a good chance that we're trying to grasp onto something that simply isn't ours to hold. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said to his disciples in Mark 10. He writes this, he says this, You know, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. That's what they do. That's how they live. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Do as I do, says Jesus. Not what they do. Don't try to grasp onto control or power. This doesn't mean that we, don't, that we just let people walk all over us, but we don't try to grasp onto control and power in every situation in life. There's a different way. Have the same mindset as I do, says Jesus. Because he went, verse 8, from being equal to God to being made in human likeness. And he knew exactly what he was doing. This wasn't just some sort of genetic malfunction where he didn't get enough of the divinity genes. He did this on purpose. He limited himself to becoming fully human with all of the messy limitations that come with it. And there are many. And if he was fully human, if he suffered every temptation known to man, he also had his doubts. He also was tempted. He also was discouraged. He also knew that it wasn't fair. But he chose to live within a bigger narrative. He had the imagination. He knew he was meant to live into a greater reality and to think otherwise. Danny's mom and some of his other relatives have been long-term missionaries in Angola for a number of years. And when civil war broke out in the 70s and 80s and then got significantly more violent and dangerous, the temptation for them, and really the sensible thing to do, was to leave. They were told by everybody, including the U.S. government, that the sensible thing to do was to acknowledge the danger, be appropriately afraid of it, and then leave. Because they could. That was a right and a privilege that they had. But from their perspective, when they tried to take on the mindset of Christ, is that what he would have done? The people they were serving needed to endure this situation. Why shouldn't they? God had called them to be here, to serve these people. So they chose to believe otherwise. They had the imagination to think outside of the fear and outside of the present circumstances. Because Jesus was Lord, even in the midst of civil war doesn't mean that they were irresponsible, but they simply chose to set aside their rights and privileges in order to serve others, to remain humble, and to be obedient. 
See, Christ-like humility is never exerting your rights and privileges as if they're yours to grasp. It's recognizing that you're not ultimately on this earth to just serve yourself. And ultimately, we aren't in control of our circumstances. Christ was made in human likeness, and second half of verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself in every way possible as far as he could possibly go. He could not do any more. He could not go any further than this. There's nothing more that Jesus could have done because he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You want to talk about sacrifice? You want to talk about a complete loss of personal rights and freedoms? No one made him do it. No one told him, Jesus, you need to be more humble and forced him into that situation. He did it by his own will. And it was the most humiliating thing that someone could endure. Sure, we can go on and on and on about how painful it was, and, and many movies and sermons over the years have tried to do that, but here that's not the point. He was absolutely, entirely, and completely taken advantage of and humiliated. That's where his perfect obedience took him. Taken advantage of. Roman crucifixion was not just about the pain. It was about the shame. Shaming the individual so as to make a spectacle of them. Yet somehow, on that wooden crossbeam, which is the greatest paradox of our entire Christian faith, that shameful humiliation was the greatest victory. The greatest moment of humiliation is also the greatest victory, and it changed everything. Because how crazy is it that Paul now tells the Philippians and every other Christian community after them to have the same mindset as Jesus? It doesn't mean that we need to experience the same things that Christ did, but we need to think like him to enter into radical obedience, to humble ourselves before others, to approach situations as he would have, to see the world as he does, a world where his humiliation has achieved a hope that we never could for ourselves. There is hope in Christ's humility. And there's hope then in the humility that we participate in as well. Because look, the poem does not end there. It, it, the cross here, it's the way that the poem is structured, this whole, these verses are structured, it's like a poem. And at the very center of it is that line about the cross. So it's like the cross is the center of gravity for this whole poem. It pulls it all together like a, like a star that's dying and it just kind of collapses in on itself. But there's so much energy and power there that all it can do is explode. Because verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All of this, all of Christ's humility that we saw before this leads to this. 
to worship. Where every knee is bowed before him, every tongue is confessing, it's worship. Taking on the mind of Christ leads to nothing less than worship. Humility before others leads to humility before God. Many scholars believe that this this passage is actually an an ancient song, a hymn, that the Christians would have sung earlier on. It might have been written even before the Apostles' Creed was. Shoot, the Philippians might have sung it every Sunday. Many scholars believe that, and that this, this was something they sang. This, because this was their fundamental reality. This is what they were called to live into, that the God who became a slave for all of humanity is now glorified and king of the cosmos. This was the reality that they were tasked to live into on a daily basis. Jesus is Lord, even now. Which was an absolutely bonkers thing to sing about. But do you think that the Philippians had any less problems than we do? Do you think that it was, do you really think that it was any easier for them to sing this than it is for us today? It wouldn't have been any easier for them in their own socioeconomic political circumstances, for all the stuff that was going on in the Roman Empire, for all the the reasons why it would have made them difficult. It wouldn't have been any easier for them to live into this reality. But passages like this would remind them, and they remind us, that in every situation, we were created to worship. Danny and I recently watched uh, the first Avengers film again, and I'm always really hesitant to quote these kind of movies and sermons, but there's this really fascinating scene in it where the character Loki, who's, you know, prince of Asgard, city of the gods, part of another world, He's come to the earth, and he wants to, to demonstrate his newfound power to all of the weak little human beings on this weak little planet. So after crashing a dinner party, Loki promenades out into the public square and, you know, starts shooting his little, you know, staff laser beam thing and making himself appear in all different sorts of places and, and terrifying the crowds of people, yelling at them to, to essentially combine into a circle and to kneel before him. And once they're all kneeling and stunned to silence, he says this, Is this not simpler? Is this not your natural state? It's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation. The bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power, for identity. You were made to be ruled. In the end, you will always kneel. And as he says this, the camera pans over to an older gentleman who slowly gets up from his bowed knee. And he looks at Loki and he says this, not to men like you. We were made to worship. And in the end, every knee will bow. But to who? To one. To a savior of self-giving love who is known most clearly to the world when he abandons his rights for the sake of all. This is the hope of the Christian. 
this is what this whole passage leads us to. We imitate the one that we worship. We take on the mind of Christ in whatever scenario. We seek to think like him, to know him, and in knowing him, we're led to worship him. I'm growing more and more convinced that the end of all of our discouragement is worship. In the midst of persecution and oppression and plague and ostracization, the Philippians sang this song. In the midst of slavery and cotton fields came the African-American spirituals. In suffering and utter humiliation, we still have songs coming out of the Christian community that are embedded into our hearts. There's a reason why lyrics often stick better in our heads than sermons or lectures. When we stop worshiping, we allow ourselves to enter into what feels like, can feel like a deep trench full of thick mud. Our discouragement and our despair just simmer around us. And we try to make ourselves feel better all the times by, by grabbing this or buying this or doing this, but we're still stuck. And the only way that we can unstickify ourselves is to enter into the bigger reality. There's always something more that's going on that we cannot see because we know who's seated on the throne. Steep yourselves. We need to steep ourselves in this reality, in this season. Not in the reality that we're stuck at home or that we can't travel or the, that we can't do what we wanted to do or that things aren't looking the way that we hoped or that we just need to get through this season so that things can go back to normal. This reality, this reality, sit with it. Nourish yourself in it. Don't set it aside. Take on the mind of Christ and apply it to whatever situation you find yourself in. Find new opportunities in this season to look like him, to imitate him, and to serve. And above all, don't stop worshiping. Worship. Proclaim truths about who Christ is, whether you feel like it or not. Name it and claim it. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Do not cease to worship. Think of a song that, that you always go back to when you just need a burst of hope. And then answer, ask yourself, when was the last time I sang it? When was the last time I let myself sing it? The picture that we have in Revelation is of endless worship, of a great multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, holding up palm branches and shouting out, salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God. Is that our cry in this season? How do we survive this season? We take on the mind of Christ our Lord, who is seated on the throne, and we worship. In a few moments here, we're going to sing a song, and I, I invite the band to come forward at this time. We're going to sing a song that's actually an older hymn, but it's, it's probably unfamiliar to most. But I would encourage you to really take in the lyrics. 
The chorus goes like this. No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that refuge clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? May that be the phrase that sticks in your head as you go about your week and as you walk through the daily rhythms of life in all the despair and the frustrations, the discouragement and the angst, whatever you're feeling, may this be the truth that rings in all of our ears. If Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.